to explain the order of certain truths in the Bible. And I use the example of when we first started at Heritage um, some 25 plus years ago now. We set out to try and teach people what belonged to them um, because of who they were in Christ. That's your heritage. That's your inheritance. And it, it just wasn't really registering. It wasn't connecting. And I went before the Lord and he's, He showed me that I was trying to teach people what belonged to them because of who they were in Christ, but they didn't know who they were in Christ. <clears throat> and so you're, you're trying to get the cart before the horse, so to speak. You're trying to you know, get out ahead of where people are and what they understand. And so we see Jesus, you know, when he went to his own hometown and the people did not receive him, did not receive his message, did not receive his teaching. Um, the Bible says that he departed and he went to smaller groups in a circuit around the outskirts, I guess, if you will, of that, of that town there in Nazareth. Um, and, he, and he taught the people because he recognized that there had to be certain things that they understood and believed and embraced in order for them to be able to receive and understand and embrace other things. We see late in Jesus' earthly ministry before he went to the cross, he told his disciples, he said, there's still so many more things that I have to, to tell you and, and to explain to you. He said, but he said, you're not ready. He said, matter of fact, he said it this way. He said, you can't bear them now. And you think bear them like, you know, we sometimes think of bad news that people can't bear, you know, so I can't bear to hear that. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying that there was nothing in place in their life for those truths to settle upon, for them to rest upon, for them to be able to hold them and embrace them. And, and I like to say it this way, take that ball and run with it. Amen. And so, but Jesus, he's, you know, basically don't, don't be dismayed about this. The Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to pick up where I've left off and he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. So obviously there were things that the, the disciples, closest people to Jesus, who perhaps had learned the most from him, there were still things that he needed to teach them, but because they were not in a place yet to receive those things and have something in place in their heart for those things to, I just picture it as something for it to rest upon, like a foundation, uh, some foundational truths that they needed to support other truths. And so we see this same pattern in the scripture. The Bible speaks of us going from faith to faith, um, grace for grace, from glory to glory. And what he's saying there with those types of expressions is that it's like, for instance, you know, one level of faith and faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But as we begin to step out in faith and exercise our faith, we grow in faith and it puts us in a position to uh, hear, you know, more truth and respond, you know, by faith to that truth. And we move and grow and develop incrementally. In the Old Testament, he says, in your light, we see light. So you've got to have a starting point, so to speak, in, in the light of God. Remember, light's the ability to see things as they truly are. And what he's saying is that when we step out of darkness into the light, we now, you know, by, by responding to the light that we have. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, I was listening to Brother Keith Moore. Um, it's a powerful message. He cares for me is the name of the message. It's, it's the feature message on More Life Ministries or uh, um, uh, website if you're interested in, in accessing that. But he was sharing some things about uh, Brother Hagin's testimony 
that um, I guess I had heard, but I, there was some details on it that I hadn't heard. And one of it was when Brother Hagen, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Brother Kenneth e. Hagen, he was born prematurely with a deformed heart, uh, an incurable blood disease, and eventually, as a child, he became paralyzed. And the doctors had basically given up on him, told him that he would not live past 16 years of age. And so people would come to his bedside to try to comfort him. They would bring him comic books and things of that nature. And he's like, he goes, them comic books aren't going to help me. Somebody get me a Bible. You know, i got to get some answers. And, and so as he was learning and understanding and, and developing, again, faith to faith, glory to glory, from grace for grace, you know, he kind of got, I don't, I don't want to put words in, in his mouth or say it incorrectly, but basically got to a point where he was kind of getting frustrated with God. And he's like, he was telling the Lord, he said, Lord, I believe, you know I believe. You know I believe. And this is what the Lord said. He says, he goes, yes, son, you, you believe um, to the point that you are able to the, to the, in other words, basically what you know you believe, but there's still a whole bunch of stuff you don't know that you need to know in order to believe, in order to keep moving forward and, and experience healing and experience these things. But of course, um, Brother Kenneth E. Hagen did come off of his deathbed, healed of paralysis, healed of a deformed heart, healed of the incurable blood disease. And God gave him the instructions to go teach my people faith. And so um, only heaven will reveal what, what this man's life and ministry has, has um, been to and for the glory of God and, and the building of his kingdom here upon the earth. So, but again, I want, you to, I want you to notice that it's this idea of you know, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. And it may be obvious, but I want to state the obvious. If you're laying brick on a wall, you can't um, lay row 32 until you've laid row 1, 2, 3, all the way up to 31. Because there's nothing, again, for row 32 to rest upon. And so as it relates to what we've been focusing on now for the past few weeks... This idea of oneness consciousness. The Bible's very clear about it, and we've, we've, I mean, we haven't exhausted everything the Bible has to say about our oneness with God, but the Bible, again, is very clear that as born-again believers, we have been made one with God. And this was God's doing because of His desire to have fellowship with us. So we've been made one with God. We've been reconciled to God. To be reconciled means to be reestablished in to oneness and fellowship with God. And so we see that this is a reality, an inward reality of the new birth um, in, our, in our lives. Uh, but, and so that's what we call positional oneness. But what we are ultimately wanting to get to in life before we get to heaven, <laughs> amen, is a functional oneness with God. And Jesus displayed, demonstrated for us what that was. Um, he said things like, I and my Father are one. I would encourage you to begin to say that yourself, amen, that you and your Father uh, are one, amen, that I and my Father are one. Jesus also said that he could do nothing of his own ability. He could, of my own self, I'll, let me quote it, of my own self, I can do nothing, amen. But then he also said, the Father who dwells in me does the works. Praise God. And so, so three very important truths that reveal to us both the positional oneness uh, that, that Jesus had with the Father, but also we see him demonstrating the functional oneness. He and his Father work together uh, cooperatively, synergistically, to do what um, Jesus did on this earth as a man. Now, 
to bring a couple of things together then, we as the body of Christ need a oneness consciousness. And by that we mean a oneness awareness where we are aware of our oneness with God. I'm going to move down my notes to a verse right here. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth and, of course, to the church at, at Hueytown right here where we are tonight, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And he's asking him, he says, are you not aware? Are you not aware? Uh, multiple translations read, do you not realize? Do you not realize and when you realize something, this, this means that you've been, what, made fully aware of it. And realizing it, we said this last week, I want to say it again. Realizing something means it just became real to you. It just became real to you. And so Jesus expressed his oneness consciousness when he boldly declared, I and my Father are one. Now, <clears throat> one last part of review, and then we're going to uh, dig into some stuff tonight, okay? I was, when I say struggling, I, like we said last week, wanting to make sure that, that people are receiving and connecting with um, what I'm saying and, and what I'm teaching and ministering to them and, and ultimately trying to feed to them. And I was, I was not in my spirit bearing witness that that connection was being made at least to the extent that it, it needed to be made. Um, made and I took that before the Lord and he said the problem is sin consciousness which means a lack of righteousness consciousness because until we are aware of our righteousness there's no foundation for an awareness of our oneness to rest upon okay so I want to talk some more tonight about our righteousness and help plant and water and bring forth, God gives the increase of these things, obviously, things concerning our righteousness consciousness. One of the things that, that we see in Scripture is that um, those who have been made right with God rule and reign in life. And that ruling and reigning in life that is associated in the scriptures with righteousness is because the righteousness provides the foundation for the fellowship. And then last week we introduced this idea to you in scripture, dominion through fellowship. And we said Jesus demonstrated the dominion through fellowship. He, he operated in dominion over the natural elements of this world. He, he operated in dominion over the laws of nature. He he operated in dominion over the devil. Jesus operated in dominion over poverty. He operated in dominion over uh, sickness. He, he operated in dominion over everything that has to do with the curse. And we're right about it. People who were hungry, Jesus fed them. And he had the money to buy the food, but there wasn't nobody that had that much food to go buy. And so what did he do? He took a little boy's lunch. And he lifted his eyes to heaven. And the same... God that fed the multitudes in the wilderness. Jesus said, I'm, I'm one with him and I can't do this without him, but I'm not without him. 
And my Father who dwells in me, he does the works. It was Father who dwelt in Jesus who multiplied that bread that day. Again, he operated in dominion. Did Jesus have right standing with God? Yes, he did. But it was the fellowship. It was the fellowship with his Father. Because Jesus said, I never say anything unless my Father tells me to say it. I never do anything unless my Father shows me to do it. See, the telling and the showing, the revealing, is from fellowship. I was um, preaching a graveside service this week. Some of you, I, I shared this story at the, the other morning in class. I was ministering a graveside service. Um, and um, Sister Sandy uh, Hollyfield's uh, mom's uh, service. And there was a large crowd of people there. Uh, and <clears throat> I'm standing there while one of the songs are playing. And, man, the Lord just says, I need you to ask these people if they know what time it is. And I'm like, Lord, that's <clears throat> this is a funeral, like he didn't know, you know. And um, he said, when that music stops, I just want you to lift up your head because I was kind of bad like this. But see, what's happening? See, I'm fellowshipping with my father. I'm fellowshipping with my father, okay. And so I'm sitting there fellowshipping with him, and I'm, I'm, you know, obviously, Lord, thank you, help me. I want to glorify you and what I do today, you know, just. Talking to him under my breath, you know, just communing, fellowship, abiding, dwelling, delighting, just right there, you know. And, uh, and so notice now, he's, he's telling me something to say. Right? He's telling me something to say. He's showing me what he wants me to do. He says, I, in other words, don't, don't just lift up your head when this song's over and look, I'll get those people's attention and ask them if they know what time it is. And tell them that the great river Euphrates is drying up and that it's an ancient river. Impre Again, he's impressing this upon me. That it's an ancient river that we see at the beginning of the Bible. But at the end of the Bible, I declare that it will dry up before the end of the age. And then remind them that in the book of Revelation, I said that all the nations of the earth would surround Israel he said, make sure they know that, make sure that. So I'm like, man, this is a funeral. I'm not... Now, but what, but what am I trying to show you? Again, it's fellowship. I mean, I had, a note, I had all this stuff to say on my iPad. I mean, I had stuff about her life. I had stuff, you know, scriptures and things. Then some scriptures the family asked me to read. I had all that stuff. I was ready to go, right? But now it's through fellowship, okay? But, but now watch this, though. How does, that's oneness, oneness consciousness but the bible also says that the righteous are as bold as a lion so it was the fellowship that father was able to communicate to me what he wanted me to say and what he wanted me to do but it was my awareness of my right standing with him that gave me the boldness and the confidence to do it do you see how do you see how these things are resting upon and supporting and working together with one another. See, if you, if, 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 you, if you, you know, if you like, now some years ago, I don't, you know, maybe I would have said something like, Lord, who am I to say something that strong to these people? These people don't want to hear this. Lord, I might offend somebody, you know. But see, when you know it's the Lord, and, and one of the things that I've been just really, I'm like, Father, will I know this side of heaven, what, who that was for and what that was about and how that, those, I, listen to me, I'm telling you right now that I didn't make that up. That was, I, I would never, 
Amen. I'm just telling you. Amen. So I know that if the Lord had me say it, there was a reason. There was somebody or some group of somebody. Somebody there needed to hear that. Amen. And of course, so 2 Corinthians 5, when you speak the word, it's as if God is pleading through you to that person. Okay. So Jesus was aware and, and he was right with God, obviously. Um, but it was his awareness that, that in the fellowship of that awareness, it's the pattern for me and you to look to and understand. Okay, now, let, let's, let's get to this part. And I, so I'm, I'm wanting, I, I said all that for a lot of reasons. And one of the main reasons I'm wanting you to understand is we're not, we're not changing the subject. We're just going to take a few steps back and, and let's, let's um, refresh our hearts and minds and understanding of the righteousness that we've been made, the righteousness that we've been given and what that looks like and what that is. Because that's, see, Satan is so afraid of you fellowshipping with Father God. He, he wants to keep you confused and ignorant. Satan wants to keep you in a position where you're never sure what to do or how to do it or when to do it and all these other things. But it's, it's through fellowship with God and understanding that, that, that you and your Father are one and that uh, of your own self you can do nothing, but he who dwells in you does the works. Amen. All right. So disobedience... And sin, disobedience, let me get, I'm going to make sure I've got everything that I need right up through here. Okay. Yeah, we've covered a lot of that, so let's make sure. All right. Disobedience and sin cannot sever your positional oneness with God, but will hinder your functional oneness with Him. The devil never wants you to be positionally one with God, but once you become positionally one with God, which means you've been born again, you've received salvation, the devil doesn't just say, well, I lost that battle. He just shifts his strategy. He shifts his strategy now to keep you from ever discovering, from you ever understanding, from you ever developing a, a knowledge of. But even if, you, if, if someone explains to you from the scriptures that you've been made one with God and provides you with that knowledge, he's then going to try to keep you from ever acknowledging it's true about you and believing it for yourself. Okay? But then even if you acknowledge it, he's going to try to make it like one of those things that... Uh, you know, maybe it's for later, or the, you know, he's going to try some tactic to keep you from ever uh, really becoming conscious and aware of of um, of your oneness. And of course, he does that. He he he. Let me see if I can say it this way. He he never wants it to come to that. And so I believe this, among other things, but primarily this right here is why the devil fights so hard to keep the body of Christ in a in a sin consciousness. To, to, to focus on our sin and, 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 and to always, you know, remember our sin. And, and anytime we, we think about stepping out, the devil, you know, wants to direct our focus and our attention back to the mistakes we've made and why we're no longer worthy and why we don't deserve and why this and that and so forth and so on. Okay. So disobedience and sin cannot sever your positional oneness with God, but it will hinder your functional oneness with him. And so this is why, and I want to introduce this from the Bible to you if, you, if you're not familiar with this, this idea, is that Father wants to purge from us the very consciousness of sin. Okay? He, he, he doesn't want 
you and me to live our lives with an awareness of sin, our sin. But instead, he wants us to be what? He wants us to be aware of, conscious of, have realization of, realize our righteousness, that we are just as right before him in his eyes as Jesus. Okay? So, but now I want to, we're going to talk tonight in the time we have remaining, we're going to talk tonight about Father dealing with our sin. Okay? And to step back again and see the bigger picture, sin separated us from him. Sin separated us from God. Amen. Sin sin causes spiritual death. Death meaning what? Separation. And I'm I'm surely stating the obvious tonight, but again, I'm wanting you to make sure ironclad positive that you're making these connections separation from god is the opposite of the one thing father god desires most with us and that's fellowship with us father desires fellowship with you sin separates us from fellowship with him separating separated from god separation from god is is the opposite of oneness with god fellowship with god So I'm asking you as we move forward tonight to think about this within the context of fellowship. God created us in His image and in His likeness for the purpose of fellowship. Fellowship with God is your number one purpose. All other purposes are not only secondary, they are dependent on your fellowship with God. Sin is the enemy of fellowship with God, therefore God has dealt ruthlessly with sin. He told me that today. He said, I have dealt with sin, but I have not just dealt with it. I have dealt with it ruthlessly. Ruthlessly. What does that mean? It means God didn't hold anything back. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't feel sorry for sin. He didn't have any pity on sin. When he rolled up his sleeves to deal with the sin that was destroying me and you by separating us from our fellowship with him, the sin that separated us from him, that separated us from the main reason we exist, that separated us from the ability then to fulfill all other purposes for our existence, Father dealt with it, and he dealt with it ruthlessly, he dealt with it thoroughly, and he dealt with it finally. God did not wait around for you and me to find a solution to our sin problem. He acted on His behalf and ours while we were still in the throes of slavery to sin. Let's go to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. We've already quoted verse 17 tonight that those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall rule and reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. But let's back up into chapter 5. Verse number 6. For when we were still without strength, without strength means we, we couldn't save ourselves. We did not have the ability to get ourselves out of the hole we were in. We did not have the ability to pull our own selves up by our own bootstraps and deliver ourselves from the, 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 the sin that we had become enslaved to, 
the flesh that we had become enslaved to, the death, separation from God. We, we had no solution. The Bible says that we were separated from God and we were without hope of ever being connected and, and reunited with Him uh, ever again. But while we were in that predicament, the Bible says in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates, He demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to say, much more than having now been justified by His blood. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified shares the same uh, root word in the original language as, as the word righteous or righteousness. So to be justified means to be made and declared righteous. To be made and declared right before God in the eyes of God. And notice that it was the blood of Jesus that has made us as if we had never sinned, that has made us right before God in the eyes of God. Look at me for just a moment. When we were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, remember the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is a righteousness that lived for 33 years on planet earth and never sinned. Jesus was not a sinner who was forgiven for his sin. Jesus never sinned. That was the standard of righteousness that he established by 33 years of life and living on planet earth. And I offer to you uh, this evening that Jesus was not tempted less than the average man. He was tempted in all points, the Bible says, like as we are. But I believe because Satan knew something was up with him that there was more attention and more focus and more temptation from the enemy directed towards Jesus than perhaps the average man. It wasn't that he was tempted less because he was the son of God. I believe he was tempted, if anything, to make a case for more than the average man. But certainly the Bible reveals that he was tempted as we are uh, in ways that we are to this day. And yet the Bible says without sin. So when he made you his righteousness, Father God does not look at you as someone who was a sinner but is now forgiven, but He sees you as someone who has never sinned. What Jesus has done for you and me has afforded Father God the luxury of treating you and me like our sin never happened. But not just treating us like our sin never happened, but to see us as ones who have never sinned. Seeing us as those whose sin never happened. Much more than having now been. If you read it tomorrow, it's going to say now. Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Shall be, notice He just shifted to future tense, because the wrath of God is, is still awaiting those who have not received Jesus. John 3 says that those who have rejected Jesus, that the wrath of God still abides on them. But if you've accepted Jesus, the wrath of God, the punishment for sin, no longer abides upon you, because Jesus is the propitiation for your sin. Meaning what? Meaning He has absorbed the wrath of God that you and I deserved for us. Amen. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross is the love that God has for His enemies. That was the love demonstrated 
for men and women who are opposed to God, who are enemies of God. In other words, as tremendous a demonstration of love that that was, that is not all the love that God has. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that he loved you this much while you were his enemy. How much more now that you have become one with him? Justified by the blood of Jesus means just as if I'd never sinned. Same root word as righteousness. But now we also see that in this passage, he's talking about having been justified, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, notice past tense, we were reconciled, past tense to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, meaning present tense condition, we shall be saved by his life. Shall be saved by his life means meaning shall be saved from this point forward by his life and not only that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation so are we still talking about oneness and fellowship with God absolutely because reconciliation is a oneness fellowship word reconciliation again means to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with. And so reconciled to God, I'll put this up on the screen, reconciled to God means to be recon, means to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with Him. Let me read it again. Reconciled to God means to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with Him. So I want to take the definition of reconciliation, reconcile, And I want to insert it in place of the word reconcile in verses 9, 10, and 11, okay? And I'll put it up on the screen. You can read along with me. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reestablished in oneness and fellowship to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reestablished in oneness and fellowship, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the oneness and fellowship. Are you seeing this? Now, unless God had dealt with our sin, none of this could ever be true. And we know that He dealt with our sin through the completed work of Jesus. So, again, God has dealt ruthlessly with our sin. I want to show you some verses, though. Um, And some of these verses are, are just obviously all come from God, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Some of these are things that the Holy Spirit said through uh, New Testament writers. Others are things that he said through Old Testament prophets that were then quoted by New Testament writers. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to understand that, that what we now enjoy and experience was something that God had in mind all along. Okay, and that was to deal ruthlessly with our sin. And, I'm, and we're going to talk more about what that means in the time we have remaining. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. Okay? Now, we tend to look at everything through a lens of what does this mean to me? What does this have to do with me? How does this affect me? What's in this for me? Okay? And because of that, we, we often overlook the reality, the truth that God has done for you what He's done for you, dealt ruthlessly with your sin, thoroughly and finally with your sin, not just for your benefit, but also for His own. 
So we see it here from John the Beloved that our sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now, we tend to look at forgiveness through the lens of this world. We tend to understand forgiveness uh, from the perspective of what we uh, practice and how we think of forgiveness. But I'm telling you, God doesn't forgive the way the world forgives. And what I mean by that is we, we can sometimes forgive somebody but still hold on to that offense or still remember that offense in our minds. And so we've said that we've forgiven them, but again, because we're all growing and developing and maturing, we say, okay, I forgive you, but you know, still be reluctant to help them, for example. Okay, I forgive you, but um, you know what, I'm not ever going to put myself out there where you're concerned again. And so we, we tend to you know, view this limited understanding of forgiveness, right, um, because that's how we see it or how we've experienced it. I'm not talking about how we give it, but how we've received it. Amen? Uh, anybody ever received a half-hearted forgiveness from somebody? You understand what I mean by that, right? So we tend to transpose that over onto God. And so we, we read this like, you know, sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Let me tell you what this means, forgiven. It means that they've been taken away, that they've been removed from you, that you've been cleansed of purged from your sin let me give you a couple more verses and we'll we'll dig into that a little deeper isaiah 43 and 25 god speaking i even i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and what does he say come on now i will not remember your sins hebrews 8 and 12 for i will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, what does he say again? I will remember no more. Now, a lot of this, and we could spend a whole sermon really on this or two if, 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 we, uh, if the Holy Spirit led us to do it. But the context of the Old Testament prophets that were talking about this coming day when God would no longer remember our sins were in the context of the covenant that he would one day have between him and, and his people. Amen. And that it would be a new covenant. And the, and, the, and the qualifications and the benefits of this new covenant would make it so that God would no longer remember our sins and our unrighteousness and our lawless deeds. Well, my brother, sister, that is the exact covenant that Jesus came to establish and ratify with his own blood for you and me with our heavenly father. And the covenant that we now live in and live under, amen, is the same covenant that we will live in and live under 10,000 years from now. The covenant that we have now on this earth will not have to be ratified or modified one iota to accommodate life one day in heaven. This is the covenant that we now enjoy. This is the operating agreement, if you will, not to water it down, but to try to connect with you on what a covenant is. This is the operating agreement that we now have with our Heavenly Father. And it is a covenant that has made us one with God. It is a covenant that has dealt ruthlessly, thoroughly, and finally with our sin so that our sin will never separate us from God again. We are positionally one with Him. And when we became positionally one with Him, there's nothing that can ever make us not be positionally one with Him ever again. Sin and sin consciousness Consciousness can interfere with our functional oneness with God, but it cannot sever our positional oneness with Him. Now, based on these verses and others, 
let's make a few statements. First of all, if you've been born again, Father has no consciousness of your sin. There's no consciousness of it. The moment you received Jesus' completed work for yourself, your sin was purged from you, and your sin was purged from the consciousness of God. Somebody say good riddance. Man. The blood of Jesus has purged your sin. And that's a, that's a King James uh, word that is often translated uh, into cleanse. Cleanse and purge come from the same, um, there's just different ways of translating the same word from the original language in the Greek. And, and here would be an example. Um, lepers were not just healed of their leprosy, but the scriptures say they were cleansed. Literally, their bodies were purged of their disease. Meaning it was once in them, but when Jesus healed them, he healed them by cleansing them, by literally removing from them altogether. That's what it means. Remove from them altogether. He didn't remove 88% of the leprosy. He removed it altogether. He purged it. He cleansed them. Meaning it was removed from them totally. Father has so thoroughly and ruthlessly dealt with our sin that He is justified in no longer remembering it. Now, again, I, I'm, not, I'm just trying to explain to you and I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything like that. I'm just... That thought came from fellowshipping with my father. In other words, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm meditating on his word, I'm, 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 I'm looking up different scriptures that, that relate to what's on my heart and what I feel like he, the direction he's pointing me in. And, and as I meditate on these things and I get impressions from the Holy Spirit and I'll, I'll type those things and or if I'm driving in my truck, I'll dictate those things and then I'll begin to meditate on those things more and make sure they align with the scriptures and search those things out. And, and, and so I'm, I'm doing this. I'm sitting there looking at this. Father has so thoroughly, I'm, I'm looking at it on my computer screen because I've typed it and I'm meditating on it and I'm processing it and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting it to, to, to further uh, shore up uh, my righteousness consciousness and 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 that 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 when my sin was purged from me it was purged from his memory amen and 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 what that means and and how i need to adjust how i see myself in light of this truth and understanding and revelation and so i'm meditating on this it's on the screen in front of me father has so thoroughly and ruthlessly dealt with our sin that he uh is justified in other words it's not just that he swept it under the rug. Are you understand what I'm saying? 
The Holy Spirit through Paul in Romans 3, he says what Jesus has done for us has enabled God the Father to be both just a just God and the justifier of those who, who call upon him and receive this gift of salvation through faith in him. So what does that mean, just and justifier? It would be unjust, amen, for God just to sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened. He, he wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be just. Amen. But what enables him to be both a just God and a justifier of those who have faith in him, right, and faith in Jesus, is what Jesus did for us. Jesus took the blame. Jesus took the punishment. He was more undeserving of blame and punishment for sin than all of us combined together were deserving of it. And so he not only balanced the scales, he tipped them in your favor and in my favor. And so I'm sitting here meditating on these things. Father so thoroughly and ruthlessly dealt with our sin that he's justified. In other words, it's not just he's decided to give us, cut us some slack. You know, something. Well, I just cut them a little slack, you know, and they're just pitiful anyway. We just, you know, just show them a little more mercy. I want a little more mercy to me. No, that's not it. He's justified. In his consciousness, being purged of your sin, he's justified in no longer remembering it. So I'm meditating on this point. And the Holy Spirit impressed upon me, listen now, the Holy Spirit impressed upon me that not only is he justified in no longer remembering it, in light of the price Jesus paid for our sin, it would actually be unjust for Father to remember our sin or ever hold it against us again. Did you pick that up right there? It's not only, it's not only, he's not only justified in forgetting it and never remembering it ever again. It's actually the opposite would be true. In light of what Jesus did, so watch this. Would it be fair for you to pay off your house and the mortgage company keeps sending you a bill? You owe this much money. No, I got the deed right here. This thing's paid in full. You better, you better pay it or we're coming to get your house. See, that wouldn't be fair. Why would it not be fair? It wouldn't be just because your house is, the debt's paid. The debt's paid. They need to forget about that debt, right? They need to forget about those payments. Those payments have all been made. No, nothing else is owed on that loan. Amen. 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 So he's not only justified in no longer remembering it, it would be unjust for him to remember it because it's already been paid in full. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. So we've looked at a few verses here where Father God does not remember our sin. Here's the question that I want you to ask yourself and I want, to, I want to leave you with tonight, okay? Why do we insist on remembering the sin that Father God remembers no more? See, remember Hebrews 2.11 where Jesus rejoices and, and, and joyfully declares that we are one with Him, that, that we are of the same seed as Him, that He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He's not ashamed to call us Adelphos, born from the same seed, born from the same womb, having partaken of the same nature, one with him. He, 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 is, he does not hesitate one second. He doesn't hesitate one split second to joyfully declare that he's one with you, that you're a member of his body. 
and that he'll be one with you for all of eternity. Doesn't pause one bit at that, right? We're the ones that stutter sometimes when we think about saying it. We're the ones that are reluctant to declare and proclaim that we're one with him. He, he has no problem with it. We're the ones that have the problem with it. And it's the same with him remembering our sin no more. He doesn't remember it anymore. He, he has no consciousness. He is no longer aware of you ever having committed a sin. I, I wish I had time. It's getting too late for me to open this, but this is truth. I mean, this is truth. See, the part that we've got to also understand here is that Jesus is one sacrifice for all sin for all time. See, sin causes separation. See, sin causes separation. And separation is the opposite to fellowship. How could we be called into the same fellowship with God as Jesus? Think about this now. Is there anything that can separate Jesus from God the Father? No, it's nothing. So we could say it this way. Jesus has permanent fellowship with God the Father. Let's, let's take it one step further. Jesus has eternal fellowship with God the Father. I don't know if a church I, anywhere on planet earth that I could preach that in and wouldn't get an amen or a Baptist nod or a grunt or something. Okay. Well, guess what? You've been called to the same eternal fellowship. How, how is that possible? The only way it's possible is if Father God dealt ruthlessly, thoroughly, and finally with your sin. So what did He do? Jesus became one sacrifice for all sin for all time. You see, Jesus has already taken the blame and punishment for sin that you and I or anybody else has yet to commit. Now, I don't, I'm not recommending you go do this, but if you, if you were to slip up and do something wrong tonight and commit a sin before you went to bed, ask Him to forgive you. But you say, well, why do I have to ask him to forgive him if he doesn't remember? Why do I have to ask him to forgive if he's not keeping a record for it? You have to ask him to forgive it to maintain your righteousness consciousness. He said, if you confess it, he'll cleanse you. He will purge you. Well, in this case, he's not purging your spirit. Your spirit's already been made just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus. He's purging it and, and, and wants to help you purge it from your mind, from your memory. Having been made sons of God, we now abide in Father's house forever. Because Jesus is our propitiation, redemption, justification, reconciliation, sin will never separate us from God again. The completed work of God in our born-again spirit has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have received eternal life in place of the eternal death that once separated us from God. This is the truth foundation for our positional oneness with God. Stand with me. Praise God. So we were dead. We were spiritually dead. Death equals separation. We were, not, we were not just temporarily separated from God. We were eternally separated from God without any hope of ever being reestablished in oneness and fellowship with Him. Nothing we could ever do, no amount of money we could ever pay, no amount of good we could ever, ever perform to, to, to be reestablished in oneness and fellowship with God. We were lost. We were absolutely lost, eternally lost. Because we were eternally dead. Jesus came to give us life, to give it to us in overflowing abundance forever. So our salvation replaced the eternal death that separated us from God with eternal life that now makes us one with Him.
Amen. All right, Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together this evening. Lord, again, you're, you're, you're stretching us again, Father. We're not just rolling the middles of the walls tonight. We're, we're taking a brush and we're cutting it in. We're, we're clarifying some things that need to be clarified. You're helping us see things that, need, that we need to see. And, and Lord, I thank you that Lord, we, we can't just through our own mental effort come to the understanding and realization of these things. Lord, it, 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 it has to be in your light that we see light. And so, Father, the entrance of your word gives light. Father, we, we have presented your word tonight and light on this subject. And, Father, I pray that as we step into this light, as we, as we um, embrace and believe and respond to the light that you've given us, Father, that more light will come and more light will come. And, Father, that, that, that we will come to that place of righteousness, consciousness, if we're not there already, that we will kick to the curb this sin consciousness, this, this constant awareness of, of our sin and, 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 the, and the issues that we've had in the past with sin and the, and the issues that we seem to still be struggling with uh, in, the, in the present tense with sin, Father. And that we would embrace once and for all that we are right with you, eternally right with you because of Jesus and because of what he's done for us and because of who he's made us. So that, Father, we can then move on up into that oneness consciousness, that awareness of our oneness with you. Lord, where you're, you're telling us things to come. You, you're telling us what shoes to wear. You, you, you're showing us, Father, what, what we need to do and even a, a certain uh, way to go that maybe we don't normally take that route to work. And, and things, Father, that you're, you're showing us and helping us. And Lord, maybe standing in line somewhere at a restaurant and you, you tell us to say something to somebody uh, sitting in a booth or some. Lord, just, again, all these different scenarios in life, Father, that we see played out in Jesus' life and ministry, things that, that he encounters, that he had, people that, Lord, you led him to the woman at the well that afternoon. You told him what to say to her. You showed him things about her that he would have had no other way of knowing apart from you showing him all of this, Father, through your fellowship with him and how it translated into ministry and deliverance and, and transformation, Father, and fruit, that, that brought glory to your name. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for all that you have in store for us this week. Thank you, Father, for helping us to meditate these things and hear your voice concerning these things as we grow up into Jesus. And we thank you for it. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We love you. You're blessed. You're healed. You're protected. Amen. Um, we'll see you Sunday. If